there, and welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a newlywed couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. And this week, like I said in our previous episode, we're going back in time to the 60s, man. Groovy, <laughs> or whatever. Groovy. <laughs> I don't know. Groovy. Whatever people said in the 60s. So, yes, Frankie introduced me to the movie this week. And, uh, what movie did you introduce me to, Frankie? I introduced you to Bonnie and Clyde. Yes, you did. Released in 1967. Yes. Yes, yes, indeed. So, um, how did you feel about this movie, Scott? Overall? Uh, Overall, I I liked it. I liked it. It was a good movie. You know, there are some slower parts to this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. But, I also feel like, if this movie came out now, I feel like we would have been a lot more action-packed, if you know what I mean. Like, Sure, yeah. I think there are action parts in the movie that kind of keep yeah. your excitement going, but there's also kind of slower parts that focus more on the characters, mainly of Bonnie and Clyde, and how they're interacting with each other, and how they're dealing with being on the life of crime, and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, this movie was based on a real-life American criminal couple, the famous Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yeah. They were a couple of bank robbers who committed several murders in, uh, throughout the Great Depression era, and they were killed in a police ambush, spoiler alert, in 1934. As I was saying before with, like, how movies are today are, like, don't know how to breathe sometimes. This one definitely knows how to breathe. Yeah. That's a thing I think with a lot of problems with some of today's movies is sometimes you go too much into it and you're like, oh god, I need I need a moment here to actually like take in what's going on. When I was doing my research for this movie, I read something very interesting that uh, Roger Ebert, who's like a famous movie critic, yeah, he had only been on the job for like six months at this time when this movie came out, Jesus and he Christ. <laughs> he claimed. That this was the first masterpiece he had seen on the job. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it it definitely... I can see why it had so much reverence to it. It was directed by Arthur Penn and written by David Newman and Robert Benton, who wrote the original Superman movie, Ah. among other things. Um, And there were also... Rewrites done last minute during filming by Mr. Robert Town, who okay. was a writer on Chinatown and Mission Impossible 1 and 2. Ah. But this movie is pretty infamous yes. for several reasons, but let's start off with what I love to talk about, the Oscars. So oh this film was nominated for 10, count them, 10 Oscars. Uh, it only won two of them. Yes. But let us, let us discuss. This movie won for cinematography, which I think the cinematography is, is pretty cool. Yeah. This was a point in movie history where like there were a lot of new movie techniques being used. Oh, yeah. Uh, cameras were a lot lighter, like uh, physically, so there were a lot more technical yeah. wizardry things that could oh, be yeah. done. We could do different things with the camera. Weird yeah, lots of things. zooming and different kind of crazy shots. It also won for Best Supporting Actress, 
for a Miss Estelle Parsons, who played Blanche in this film. We will get to her, but I do want to mention Miss Estelle Parsons because she was in one of my favorite shows of all time, Roseanne, as Roseanne and Jackie's mother in that in that show. And I'm gonna find my favorite clip of Roseanne where she's in it, and I'm gonna put it right here. I think you should be shocked. I long for the days when we could brand someone like you with a scarlet letter, leaving you a lonely, miserable outcast. And if you ever contract an incurable and very painful disease, I will not be able to stop myself from dancing a jig of glee. So she's pretty hilarious, and I'm, I was excited to see her in this. I didn't know she was in this, let alone that she won an Oscar for this role. Scott's not happy about that, by the way, because her role in this movie is admittedly pretty... Terrible? I wouldn't say terrible. It's just, it's All she crazy. does is scream and it's, cry. It's a lot. But, I mean, that's her character, though. She's just a basket case and she's crazy. But, we'll get to that. We'll argue about it, as we always do, because it's a shoot the flick. Now, let's talk about the eight other awards that it was nominated for. We've got a bunch... We've got lots going on. It was nominated for Best Picture, Lost to In the Heat of the Night. Nominated for Best Actor for Warren Beatty, Lost to In the Heat of the Night. Nominated for Lead Actress for Faye Dunaway, Lost to Katherine Hepburn for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Okay, that, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, we had two nominations for Supporting Actor, uh, and they both lost to George Kennedy from Cool Hand Luke. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense there. It was also nominated for director, lost to The Graduate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. Uh, nominated for screenplay, lost to Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and nominated for costume design, lost to Camelot. Getting 10 nominations is pretty That's impressive. That's pretty, yeah. Now, speaking of the Oscars. Yes. At the 2017 Oscars, the ceremony had a, a portion where they wanted to kind of celebrate the 50th anniversary of Bonnie and Clyde. Ah. So, they had a Mr. Warren Beatty and a Miss Faye Dunaway announce the winner for Best Picture. That was a mistake. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm referring to, I am referring to in the 2017 Oscars a film entitled Moonlight won Best Picture. If you haven't seen it, watch it on Netflix. It's awesome. But what had happened was Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway went up to present the award and they read the little envelope and for some reason Faye Dunaway decided to read La La Land instead of Moonlight. <laughs> so everyone from La La Land was like, yay, we won Best Picture. And then they took the envelope and they're like, wait, no, we did it. Moonlight, hello, Moonlight won. This is not a joke. I'm afraid they read the wrong thing. This is, this is not a joke. Moonlight has won Best Picture. Moonlight, best picture. So, yeah, and, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of an infamous moment at the Oscars and kind of a funny way to celebrate some might say, the 50th anniversary. Some might say they stole the Oscars. Ah, they robbed Moonlight of, of their Oscar <laughs> glory. Because <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde are robbers. <laughs> Scott, you're so funny. I know. I knew I married you for a jokes. reason. So other ways that this movie kind of changed the game as far as like just filmmaking in general was the the violence yes. in the film. 
this was one of the first movies that kind of really used a great amount of blood and kind of graphic, realistic violence. But yeah, just all of these reasons for why this movie is so iconic is why it was, in 1992, selected for the National Film Registry. So I thought, what better movie to discuss? Because I feel like we haven't really talked about a lot of older movies. And I like older movies. It depends on the older movie. Well, yeah. This this is... Some of them are timeless. I feel like this is a more timeless one. Yeah, there are other ones you you sit there that were big during the time, and then you watch them now. And you're bored. Like, Gone with the Wind. Yeah, well, Gone with the Wind is like a fucking trial because it's so long, too, so... It's one of those movies that was shown, everyone's seen the movie, bores me to tears. Red, you go. Where shall I go? What shall I do? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. But this one definitely was not boring. So you want to get into the nitty-gritty, Scott? I am down for the nitty and the gritty. Alrighty. We open... With some real-life photos going over the opening credits, there, there's a, a little bit of text establishing Bonnie Parker as a waitress from Texas, and Clyde Barra as a petty thief. Clyde Barra is played by a Mr. Warren Beatty, who is very handsome, by yep. the way. He was also a producer on this film, so this film was kind of like his baby. It was very important to him. He definitely has that smile. That oh yeah, that smile is oh yeah, mm-hmm. very good. Very handsome, very charming. Which you need to if you're gonna be like a criminal, like kind of like a con man type of. Which he kind of is a con man, Clyde Barrow, basically. Like you have to have that kind of charm. Well, yeah, all the great crime movies have to give you something to connect with the guy, the main character. You know, Goodfellas. You connect with his upbringing and, you know, wanting that lavish lifestyle. Godfather, building yourself up from nothing, being an immigrant. You need that kind of thing. And it's that disarming smile of, I'm just trying to survive in this world, basically. Right, and this is all I know. And this is all I know, and I'm charming as fuck. <laughs> yeah, and what I did find interesting, I read this on the intranets, Warren Beatty had wanted the film shot in black and white. Originally, but the studio refused. I think if this was shot in black and white, though, I feel like it would lose something. I, I don't. I don't know. I feel like it would make it more timeless. If anything, maybe I. I feel like the blood would have less impact. Yeah. No, I didn't think about that. You're right. So, and then we have Bonnie Parker, who is played by Faye Dunaway, who is gorgeous. She's very beautiful. She was in Chinatown. Uh, Mommy Dearest. No wire hangers! What's wire hangers doing in this closet when I told you no wire hangers ever? So we've established our two main leads, and now we cut to Bonnie in her bedroom in Texas, and she hears a little commotion out the bedroom window. She looks out and she sees this handsome, warm baby. And he's trying to steal her mother's car. Yeah. So she like yells him like, "Hey, what the hell are you doing?" <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, nothing. I was gonna, I was gonna buy it." And she's like, "You don't have no money for a car." <laughs> she seems very lethargic. Like she's like, <sighs> I mean, she's a waitress in some podunk town in Texas. She's like, 
She's very much like Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Like, I want adventure in the great white somewhere. You know? So she meets Clyde. She's kind of giving him shit, but like, you can tell she's kind of into him. Because I mean, Warren Beatty. She's like, I'm, I gotta go to work. And he's like, oh, I'll walk with you. Where are you going? Let me guess, you're a waitress. And she's like, fuck you. She's like, what do you do? And he's like, oh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm bouncing around. Before that, I was in jail. And she's like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, armed robbery. And she's like, intrigued. She goes, what's it like to rob someone? (laughs) She's like so into it. And he's like, "Eh, it's nothing. And she goes, you didn't rob anybody. You ain't telling the truth. And he pulls a gun. Oh, yes. Okay, this scene is fucked. Okay, so... He pulls the gun out and it's like right by his dick. <laughs> and she immediately just like grabs the gun like it's his cock. Like it's very phallic, very obviously oh, like yeah. I'm oh, gonna fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So to prove to her that he is not a faker and he is a real true blue criminal, he walks to the convenience store across the street and holds them up for money. And then he runs out with a handful of cash and they run off together, steal a car, and drive away. Yes. And then, as they're driving away, she is, like, all over him. Oh, yeah. Immediately. Like, she literally just met this person, like, an hour ago. Oh, yeah. And she's all over him, like, kissing on him, and da-da-da-da. Clyde is like, ah, oh, all right, slow down, slow down. And then he pulls over, and he, like, could not get out of the car fast enough. And she feels, like, rejected and stuff. This scene is interesting because... He tells her, hey, listen, if you're looking for a lover boy, that's not me. I, that, I'm not that. It's got nothing to do with you, but it's not, I'm, nothing's wrong with me. I don't like boys. And as, when he says that, I don't like boys, he hits his head on the, like, on the roof of the car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Incidentally. So interesting fact about this. Originally in David Newman and Robert Benton's script, Clyde was written as bisexual. And actually there was a scene where he has a threesome with Bonnie and another gentleman that we meet later. Ken, the director, ended up changing that because he said Clyde is already seen as kind of like an outcast because of his criminal stuff. Yeah, why add more? So he's like, just don't, I don't want to add more to it. But there were rumors that Clyde Barrow was gay, bisexual. So throughout this movie... Clyde has issues in regards to his sexuality, his sexual prowess, let's say. His drive. So, yes. It's not really clear if he's impotent or if he's gay, bisexual. It's not really made clear. But it's kind of like, I feel like it's left up to interpretation. I think it's it's not not made clear, but you wouldn't guess bisexuality. You probably would guess impotence. Yeah, I would say so. So... Clyde connects very much with Bonnie at this point. He tells her that she's better than being some waitress. He wants her to run away with him yeah. and commit crimes and rob banks together. I knew it the second I saw you, you were like me. Well, yeah, he brings her to like a diner, tells her her past. Oh yeah, it was it was that was a good scene. He tells her like everything about her life because he you know he knows what kind of girl she is. Now, when you were sixteen, you seventeen. There was a guy who worked in a in a cement plant. Right, cement plant. And you and you liked him because he thought you were just as nice as you could be, and you almost married that guy. But then you thought, no, you didn't think you would. He says something like, "Oh, you know, you work in this restaurant and you have guys pawing over you all the time, and 
asking you out and doing this and that, but you don't want guys like that. Then right after that, he looks over at her and says, change your hair. I don't like your hair like that. She just does it. And it's like, okay, you don't want a guy like pawing all over you. You want a guy like to boss you around a little bit. Yeah, I don't little, know. Controlling. Yeah, so they are squatting in a rundown house, yes. and he's teaching her how to shoot a gun. And he's telling her, oh, I'm going to buy you a Smith & Wesson, and it'll fit in your hand nice, da, da, da. The old owners of the house pull up, and they're like, whoa, whoa, we, we don't want any trouble. We just came to say goodbye. This used to be our house. The bank took our house, because Great Depression. Oh, yeah. Bank took our house, so we're, we have to leave. And Bonnie and Clyde are like, oh, you know, that's a darn shame. And Clyde gives him the gun to shoot the bank side. Yeah. It shows, like, the plight of this era that they're living in. But it also shows that even though Clyde is a criminal, he has a smidge of humanity in yes. there. But uh, this is where we get the first introduction to one of, like, the famous lines in this movie. Clyde and Bonnie are introducing themselves to this gentleman. And he goes... This year's Miss Bonnie Parker. Lady me. I'm Clyde Barron. Right. We robbed banks. And the guy's like, okay, even, have a nice time. Even Bonnie was a little like, Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut to Bonnie and Clyde robbing their first bank, kind of. Clyde goes to this bank. He has his gun out. Bonnie's waiting in the car. He goes up to the teller and he's like, give me the money. And the guy's like, well, you don't have any money, sir. This bank failed three weeks ago. (laughs) And he's like, fuck. And then he's like, all right, you go out and tell my girl that because she's going to think I'm stupid for coming out and be handed. So he goes out and tells her and literally Bonnie just starts hysterical laughing as they drive away. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's funny. Because you're dumb. And then they have another fail when they go to a grocery store. And Clyde is trying to rob the grocery store and get some food and stuff in a paper bag. And oh, he's yeah. like, oh, you don't have this? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. That? And then a, another grocery worker comes from behind and, like, attacks him. And they fight. And he fucking runs out without the food. And just, they drive off. And he's like, why what, Why did he try to kill me? I didn't wasn't doing anything. I was you, you had a body. gun, sir. <laughs> you had a gun? He didn't have to come at me with a meat cleaver. But you had a gun. <laughs> and you were stealing. So, like, you know, fuck you. So then... We're having a little trouble with the car. So they go to this gas station being attended to by a Mr. C.W. Moss, played by Michael J. Pollard, who has been on Shoot the Flick before. Oh, he has? has Oh, yes. Back in December, when times were so much easier, we were full of Christmas cheer and hope for the new year. Watching Scrooge. Oh, yes. Funny how you mentioned Scrooge. This gentleman... Was in Scrooge. Ah. Do you know who he played? Hmm. Hmm. It was a very small role. Is it like the neck word? Check? No. Michael J. Pollard played the frozen gentleman, the homeless guy that oh. Bill Murray yells at. Why didn't you stand Claire? Why didn't you stay with Claire? She would have taken care of you. You would have eaten. You would have been warm. You might be alive. You'd be a prettier color, I'll tell you that! And he was Oscar nominated for this role. He plays kind of like a a simple countryman who knows a lot about cars. And Bonnie and Clyde basically recruit him to be their getaway driver slash mechanic on the road. He's very taken with the whole, we rob banks thing. That's where the the line comes back again, because Bonnie is like talking him up. And she's like, oh, this is a stolen car. We rob banks. (laughs) And I was like, oh, jeez. 
CW hops into their car yeah. and joins them on the road. I said to Scott, it's kind of like the Muppet movie, oh. but with criminals. Moving right along. Moving right along. Creating the gang of criminals. <laughs> then we get our first look at the cops getting on to Bonnie and Clyde because we see the cops showing the grocery worker that got in a fight with Clyde, showing pictures, and he identifies Clyde's mugshot. He's like, that's the guy. So we're like, oh no. And then we cut to Bonnie, Clyde, and CW's first bank robbery together. Yes. They go into this bank, Bonnie and Clyde. They rob the bank. Everything goes smoothly. And then they go outside. But the car, it is not there. Where is the car? CW parked the car. He, like, parallel parked in the spot. Honestly, one of the best parallel parks <laughs> I've ever seen. And then they come out and they're like, what the fuck did he do? And then they run, they find him, they run to the car. And Clyde's like, what the fuck? Why did you fucking park the car? Because yeah, he's now he's backing in and out of hitting the other two cars. Yeah, he's trying to get out. And then, like, they just get away. But as they're getting away, one of the bank workers jumps onto the car, and Clyde just turns around, shoots him in the head. And down he goes. This is our first, like, real look into, like, the graphic kind of violence in this, because they, they do not cut away, they no. do not shy away from the blood. They hold on to the shot of the head getting hit with the bullet, and the body drops to yeah. the floor. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh boy, here we go. He's gone from petty theft to armed robbery right. to now he is he's killed someone. So they're hiding out at this motel and Bonnie and Clyde are in the room alone together and he's like, Listen, people saw me. I already have a record, so they're gonna know who I am and I just killed somebody. So I'm on their radar. I can't get out of this now. They don't know who you are. You can still get out of this. No. Look, I ain't a rich man. You can get a rich man if you tried. I don't want no rich man. I don't want a rich man. <laughs> I want you. Up to this point, Clyde has been actively avoiding having any kind of sexual activity with Bonnie at all. There was one point where they're all sleeping, the three of them, sleeping in the room together the middle of the night and she's up and she like leans over him and he's really loudly snoring so she's like oh, i guess he's asleep forget it pan to him and he opens his eyes like <laughs> purposely snoring just to yeah. avoid so at this point after bonnie tells him i, I want to stay with you i don't want to go home they become intimate for about a minute this movie, too, was kind of, I guess, more taboo at the time because of the sexual stuff that yeah. was shown in this. They are shown very intimately. She's shown going down on him. Oh, yeah. And he is not having it. Nope, he is not getting <laughs> he, He's. It seems like he wants to get there. He's kissing her, and he gets frustrated and kind of pushes her away, and she feels very dejected. You feel kind of like the awkwardness in the space. The awkwardness, the frustration. The silence, yeah. The silence is pretty uh, deafening in that moment. At one point, she's like huddled by herself in the corner of the bed. And, and he just like reaches over and 
pats her back, and it's like, oh, you feel bad. Like, you feel bad for this yeah. murderer. He can't get it up. <laughs> he tells her, at least I ain't a liar. I told you I wasn't a lover boy. And she turns around and kind of gives him a little half smile, and she still loves him, so whatever. But she really... I mean, love, lust. It's more lust at this point. They were together for a long time, so probably in time they grew to love each other. But at first, yeah, it's probably lust. I mean, Warren Beatty. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Faye Dunaway. Yeah. So, next we cut to Bonnie and Clyde meeting up with Clyde's brother, Buck, played by Gene Hackman. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't have realized it was Gene Hackman at that point until yeah, later very, on. he's very young. He hasn't developed his trademark, I'm losing part of my hair, but is the rest of it still there yet? <laughs> and uh, we also meet Buck's wife, Blanche, ah. played by Estelle Parsons, who I mentioned before. Scott didn't like her at all, <laughs> but she's an Oscar winner, Scott. What are you going to do? Must have been the weakest supporting actress class. She's screaming throughout the entire movie except one point, which I'm like, okay, are we going to keep going with this? I'm like, maybe we can like develop something here, but no, she goes immediately back to screaming, literally right after it. Buck and Clyde have this very sweet brotherly reunion, and Blanche is pretty standoffish because Buck used to be a criminal as well as yes. his brother, but... When he met his wife, he, she's a preacher's daughter. She, you know, she's a good girl, so he gave up his life of crime. So when Blanche meets Clyde and Bonnie and CW, she's kind of like, eh, nice to meet you, but really get the fuck away from me. <laughs> They're taking pictures with, uh, you've seen some of these pictures. Oh, yes. There's a pretty famous picture of Bonnie Parker. With, like, the, the gun and the cigar hanging out of her mouth in front of the car. That that was uh, depicted here. So that was kind of a cool moment. Now, as far as Blanche... If you've seen Roseanne, and you know the, the mother in Roseanne, she's basically that in this. She's, like, a neurotic, screechy woman for the whole movie. Hey there, let me get the Kodak here. We'll take some pictures. Come on, Blanche. Get, get out of there. Oscar-winning performance. I just, yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think the the role is really meaty enough or uh, developed enough to deserve an Oscar. I don't know. But that's just me. What do I know? I'm just a simple gal. Buck and Clyde have this awkward slash fun relationship. They do the, the weird, like, a hook punch to the shoulder, and Buck tells this joke, which he tells, like, three times throughout the movie. Oh, yeah, it's his, like, standard dad joke, even though he's not a dad, but... <laughs> uh, Buck and Clyde decide, okay, let's all go up to this house we rented in Missouri, and let's have, like, a little mini vacation. So, they go up there, Buck and Clyde are, you know, chatting it up, and having fun together in the car. The other car has Blanche and Bonnie and they are like silent. Blanche is like turned away from Bonnie. She don't give a fuck. They go to the house and they're having a grand old time except for Bonnie. 
Bonnie is trying to come on to Clyde, and Clyde's like, mm, I'm hungry. You guys want to eat something? Yeah, she, she's also does not like Blanche. One bit. She's oh, with yeah. me on this. Yeah, no, Bonnie's on your side. I'm I'm on Clyde's side, where I'm like, listen, yeah, I know she's annoying and all, but, like, she's my brother's wife, so, like, she's family. What am I going to do? So, they order food. The grocery guy comes, and he recognizes them. He leaves, and, like, a little while later, the cops come, and gunfire ensues. Oh, <laughs> a big shootout happens. Buck ends up shooting a cop. And CW also, I think, ends up and shooting a cop. I think CW as well, yes. And also Blanche. <laughs> Blanche is, like, running out of the house screaming bloody murder. <laughs> Because that's that's a smart idea when cops are shooting at you, just run out flailing your arms and screaming. Um, she was like a wacky bleeding lord. <laughs> yeah, basically. So they escape in a car, and Buck is like, "Wait, wait, where's Blanche?" They grab her and pick her up and put her in the car, and she's screaming and screaming and screaming some more. And Bonnie eventually turns around and is like, "Shut the fuck up already." <laughs> like just shut up you're the fucking worst and Blanche is like we need to leave we need to go we need to get the fuck out of here and Buck's like you can't I just shot a cop we're in this now and she's like what the fuck so they're all freaking out Bonnie's freaking out telling Blanche to shut the fuck up and Clyde ends up yelling at Bonnie you done fucked up now and she just looks at him like we need to talk get out of this car and she goes get her the fuck out of here. Yeah, and she, he's like, listen, I can't. She's my brother's wife. That's my brother. I, I, what, am I, what do you want me to do? And she's like, she's the fucking worst. And get she kind of is, to Get rid fair. of both of them, then. Like, okay. Yeah, like, whatever. He ends up yelling at her. And he's like, what makes you any better than her? What, you, what makes you so special? You were just a fucking waitress in Texas when I found you. Mind you, in the beginning, when they first met, she's like, oh, you're special. You deserve better than being a waitress. Da, 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 da. You're special. Hmm, oh, yeah. fuck you. So then she turns right back at him and says, oh, well, you know what makes you special? Your way of lovemaking, which is no lovemaking at all. Oh! He turns around and, like, is all upset, and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, she quickly apologizes, and then they just, like, calm down, and they drive off, all of them, all of them together, the, the Barrow Gang. Some, like, days later, Buck is reading a news article about the Barrow Gang, Clyde, Bonnie, and Buck are all identified by name, but CW is not identified by name. No. He's just an unidentified suspect. So as they are like pulled over on the side of the road reading this article, a sheriff comes upon them, Mr. Sheriff Hamer. Yes, he is a uh, Texas Ranger. And he's played by Denver Pyle. He has a very nice little mustachio going on. Oh, yes. And he sneaks up on the gang... But they, they get the jump on him. Yeah. They cuff him, and they're talking about, like, oh, should we kill him? But then Bonnie goes, listen, we take his picture, <laughs> we send it to all the newspapers, and then everybody's going to see Captain Frank Hammer of the Texas Rangers with the Barra Gang, and all of us just as friendly as pie. We send pictures of this guy, and he's buddy-buddy with us. He's now automatically discredited, and right. they think, oh, Bonnie and Clyde have a cop as a friend. Nothing's going to happen to them. So they're, like, taking pictures with him. Bonnie actually grabs his face and kisses him. And then uh, Hamer ends up spitting in her face. You are a fucking whore! Do this thing, bitch! Fucking 
Bitch, I will take you out. And Clyde fucking loses it. Oh yeah. <laughs> like mm. goes off and attacks him. There's a little lake nearby, and they just plop him onto a canoe and send him out into the middle of the water. It's like fuck you. <laughs> this, I want you all to remember this. This will be their undoing. Oh yes, Hamer will return. <laughs> we cut to another robbery by the Barrow Gang. Yes, the Barrow Gang. So Bonnie, Clyde, and Buck go inside, rob the bank. C.W. and Blanche are waiting in the car. Good afternoon. This is the Barrow Gang. Now, if everybody will just take it easy, nobody will get hurt. They rob the bank. They end up getting chased. They have a little little car chase all the way to like the state limits. But then the cops are like, I'm not fucking risking my life in the state. Fuck this. So they turn around and they're free. By the way, in this bank robbery, Gene Hackman like hops the wall. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, he's limber. I'm like, those are some good hops, Gene. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are some good fucking hops. But then we get a, a really good scene. They're like pulled over on the side in like a field somewhere, and they are splitting the money. And this is a good like character scene for like everybody in this cast, really, because Clyde is like the head honcho, you know. And then you see Blanche kind of in her husband's ear. And then Buck goes, uh, what about Blanche's share? And Bonnie immediately was like, what? <laughs> what? No. <laughs> and she's like, what? I, I risk my life the same as everybody. I'm being hunted by the law same as everybody. I should get a cut. And Clyde's like, you know what? You know what? No, you're right. You're right. And then he takes back the money that he started to split and then redistributes it and gives Blanche a share. And as soon as he does, Bonnie storms off. And meanwhile, this whole time, CW is just like tinkering under the car, like totally oblivious to what's going on. He's like, I'm just here to fix the car. <laughs> so Bonnie and Clyde are arguing for like the 15,000th time about Blanche. This is the point where I thought Blanche was going to come around. I was like, okay, Blanche is going to start seeding the idea in Buck's head that he doesn't need Clyde, he doesn't need Bonnie. Like, is she is she coming around to this life of crime and she immediately goes back to the piece of shit she was at the beginning of the movie? Yeah, pretty much. So, they're arguing and they're really not getting anywhere, Bonnie and Clyde. And then CW comes over and he's like, hey, the car is fucked. We gotta get a new one if we're gonna get out of here. So then... We get a nice little scene, a nice little surprise. We need two just regular old people named Eugene and Velma. They're a nice little couple, and they're sitting on their porch necking. Oh, yeah, they're necking. They're having a grand old time. The gang comes up, and they steal Mr. Eugene's car. Now, why is this scene so good, you may ask? Why is this so interesting? Well, because... Eugene mm-hmm. is played by a, a wonderful actor. A legend. A legend. This was his film debut. Our first taste of this particular actor. And of course, I'm talking about the late, the great Gene Wilder. Oh, yeah. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. He actually did Producers the following year and was nominated for an Oscar for that role. So this is right right in the baby-faced era of Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder, honestly, every movie I've ever seen Gene Wilder in, it's always good. Yeah. And you like you could just tell, even though this is his first role, and it's a very small role, 
you can just see like the burgeoning like comedic genius because he has like his his Gene Wilder isms even in this role. Oh yeah, the subtlety of sarcasm. Yeah, and like the looks and stuff. As they they steal Gene Wilder's car, Gene Wilder sees them. My car! My car! He falls out of the window. I'm wet! Oh, yeah. That's I'm literally wet. what it sounds like. I'm wet! I'm wet! I'm hysterical and I'm wet! I'm in pain! And I'm wet! And I'm still hysterical! I'm wet! I'm hysterical! <laughs> I'm hysterical! <laughs> I'm wet and hysterical! Um, so oh he gets into his girlfriend's car. They're... Chasing after Bonnie and Clyde in Gene's car. Gene goes, I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. And when I catch him, I'm going to beat these punks up. And then Velma's like, but they could have guns, Eugene. And he's like, we should get the police. (laughs) (laughs) So they immediately turn around and start driving back towards the town. Clyde decides, you know what? Fuck this. I'm turning around too. And I'm going to start chasing them. So they start chasing them. And Eugene, Eugene's like, drive faster, Velma. Step on it, Velma. So eventually the Barra gang catches up with them, takes them out of uh, the girlfriend's car, puts them in the stolen, the Eugene's stolen car that he just took. And at first they're very, like, scared, obviously. But they're, like, you know, they're chatting with them and cut to later on. They're, like, driving with them for, like, the whole day. And eventually they kind of, like, wear down and they're being, like, friendly and they kind of, you know, get comfortable. Buck tells the same joke. And uh, at one point, Bonnie asks Velma, oh, how old are you? And she's like, oh, I'm 33. And Gene Wilder gives this look, you guys, that could, like, (laughs) destroy anybody. He's like, what? You told me you were 26. (laughs) He didn't say that, but that's what the look said. He says it all in the look. It's so good. It's like, oh, God, you're going to be a fucking star. (laughs) So they go get, like, burgers. Yeah, yeah, and they're all eating in the car, just having a grand old time. And then all of a sudden, Bonnie asks Eugene, Hey, what do you do anyhow? I'm an undertaker. Get them out of here. And Scott was like, wait, why did she do that? And I'm like... Well, I think because she saw it as, like, a bad sign. This guy's an undertaker. We don't want to be around any kind of death. <laughs> We're already close enough to death as it is. We don't need any more. It was, it was very abrupt. We say goodbye to Gene Wilder. Bye, buddy. See you later. I'll be the same. Just a, just a little footnote in uh, the man's repertoire, but the, the beginnings of greatness right there. Indeed. So then we cut to the next day or whatever. And the gang is slowly driving, and Clyde is running around in this field looking for Bonnie. Bonnie's missing. And Clyde eventually finds her and kind of, like, tackles her, basically. And is like, don't leave me like that, baby. Don't do that to me. And she's like, okay. <laughs> okay, she, she left because she had, at another point, gone, I want to go see my mother. And he goes, we can't go back to Texas because they are going to kill us. She's like, I want to see my mother. She's old. Like, I, you know, she could, she could die. I, I would never see her again. I, I want to see her. So they eventually decide to go to Texas. They kind of just meet the mom and her whole family, like, in a field somewhere. Yeah. A lot of these scenes take place in just a field. <laughs> just a random field. It's like and, a uh, sand hill. <laughs> yeah, and they're having a grand old time. The whole family is, like, 
enamored with Bonnie and Clyde. They're like, oh, we have all your newspaper clippings. You're famous. Da, da, da. Except for the mother. The mother is not. Mama is mad. <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde are talking to her, and she's like, listen, I'm, I'm afraid for my daughter. She's running around with you, robbing banks and shit. She's going to get herself killed. And Clyde mentions the idea of at some point when, you know, times are better, he's going to settle down with Bonnie. Three miles away from Ma. Yeah, they're going to have a normal life and everything's going to be peaches and cream. And Mama's like, I don't think so. Yeah. You live by me. The fucking cops are going to kill you, sweetheart. <laughs> you better keep running. You better keep running, Clyde Barrow. Later on, the whole gang's at a motel somewhere. And Bonnie is just really depressed. Clyde is comforting her and Bonnie goes, you know, when I first started running with you, I thought we were going somewhere, but now I see we're going nowhere. And Clyde's just like, but I love you though. <laughs> I'm not gonna fuck you, but I love you. <laughs> so then meanwhile, CW takes Blanche, she's like a chicken joint to get dinner for everybody. And while they're in the restaurant, CW's pulling out like his money and shows his gun in his waistband, and Which, somebody in the restaurant sees it, and then you kind of get the idea, like, ah, shit, they're gonna get caught again. Which, by the way, the gun is pointed at his dick. It is pointed straight at his dick. That is a bad time waiting to happen. Well, he's, just, he's a simple boy. He doesn't know what he's doing. He just, he's just there to fix the car. Then later that night, the cops come a-knocking on Buck and Blanche's door, and immediately... Blanche covers Buck's mouth and is like, oh, they're on the other side. Which, why would you just believe that if you're a police officer? Because they'll be like, open the fucking door. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, the cops just go to the other side and... Bullets start flying. Once again. <laughs> Once again, they're, they're trying to get out. Buck and Blanche are trying to hide behind a mattress. Yeah, and while they're doing that, Buck gets shot in the head. He's still alive. He gets shot in the head. He's pretty fucked up. And Blanche gets shot in the eye. And CW so that, apparently also has grenades. That Oh, yeah. There were grenades for some reason. I don't know. Scott's like, where did they get the grenades from? I'm like, I don't fucking know. They're bank robbers. <laughs> They're criminals. I don't know. They have connections. I don't know. Fuck. But anyway, Blanche getting shot in the eye is a good lesson in karma, I think. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Don't be a cunt. Because then the cops will shoot you in the eye. <laughs> they do end up escaping, all of them together. They are freaking out. This scene in the car when they escape this time, you thought that the fucking first scene where they escaped and they're screaming is bad. This one is like guttural because Buck is, even CW says at one point, have his fucking head blown off. And it's, you see, like, the blood everywhere. Clyde is just driving, like, white-knuckling it. They pull off at one point to, like, this field, and they kind of settle down, try and just get themselves together. Yeah, uh, CW steals another car. Clyde is holding Buck in his arms, and he's just screaming and doesn't really know, like, what's going on, because, you know, a bullet to the head will do that to you. Yeah. And even at this point, Bonnie is hugging Blanche yeah. trying to calm her down. That's how fucking crazy the situation is. Yeah, Bonnie is holding Blanche telling her to calm down. Yeah, because Blanche is literally like on her knees like 
God, I won't do anything I can't see, but I won't do anything bad again. Yeah, she's just like, please oh. save him, please save him. And honey, it ain't happening. He got shot in the head. So they, they get through the night, basically camping out in this field. The cops end up catching up with them. Another little shootout ensues. They just jump back into the first car because they're like, it's already on. And they're trying to drive away. And the cops are just shooting the hell out of this first car. And Clyde's trying to get away. Clyde crashes the car. Gets shot in the shoulder. Oh, yeah. This is where they get separated. Buck and Blanche uh, run off one direction. Well, Bunny and Clyde and CW get away. They run off into the woods. Bonnie gets shot. So both Bonnie and Clyde are bleeding to shit. Clyde manages to steal another car, comes around, picks the other two up. CW gets in the driver's seat, and they drive off. Yeah. So they escape. Buck and Blanche yes. are trapped by the cops. Buck is kind of wobbling and then kind of drops to the ground. Right, right, okay, and so. they grab Blanche, and she's like, He's dying! He's dying! He's dying! And Buck just kind of... Flops over, and the cops have Blanche, and Buck passes away. At least I believe his dying scene... More than I believed, Shmi's dying scene in the back of the <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that's what I mean about, like, the graphic nature of this film. Like, I feel like in another movie, when he got shot in the head, he would have just been dead and that would have been it. And there wouldn't have been that kind of afterward where he's hanging on by a thread and screaming incoherently and doesn't really know what's going yeah. on and stumbling around. Telling Clyde the dog stole his shoes. Yeah, it's like... More gritty, and mind you, I've never been in a situation where someone gets shot, so I don't know, but it feels more realistic. Yeah, a lot of the times, though, you get shot in the head, you're, you're done almost immediately. Yeah. But then there are times, like, um, if you go back to Scream, where uh, Anthony Anderson gets stabbed in the head by the killer. What is that, Scream 4? Anthony Anderson gets stabbed in the head, and he walks, he, like, stumbles yeah. forward and crashes the ground, and Wes Craven basically took this because he read about it in the news about some guy getting stabbed in the head and literally, like, walking yeah. away. C.W. takes Bonnie and Clyde to his father's house. Yes. To, you know, help nurse them back to health. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Texas Ranger Hamer is closing in on Bonnie and Clyde. He goes to, like, the police station around where Blanche was caught. Yeah. And he's talking to the police officers, and they're like, oh, you're the famous uh, Sheriff Hammer. And he's like, Hamer, <laughs> you fuck. Because <laughs> he sees, like, the picture. He shows him the pictures in the yeah. the paper, because uh, they sent their pictures to the paper of him, like, cozying up with Bonnie and Clyde. And he's like, I hate that. Yeah, he, he's definitely got a, a stake in this. He's like, I want to take another picture with Bonnie and Clyde one last time, meaning when he fucking kills them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he walks into Blanche's cell. She's got uh, bandages around her eyes, so she can't see. She's she's blind. And he basically tricks her into telling him CW's name. Because at that point, he has been unidentified. So uh, Blanche is like, oh yeah, CW Moss, that's his name. And Hamer's like, yippee! Yes, yes, and he leaves. And she's like screaming, like it's all Clyde's fault that Buck's dead. <laughs> okay, we get it, Scott. You don't like her performance. No, this. I don't. We don't. We don't like her screaming. We get it. So Clyde is obviously very upset about his brother, 
Bonnie tries to console him. Uh, the newspaper said that Clyde left his brother to die. CW's dad is like, oh, you know, Clyde, he, he's looking out for you, CW. He, he's, he's a good guy. He's looking out for you. And then the second he gets CW in the house by himself, he's like, what the fuck are you doing running with them? What do you have on your chest? He got a tattoo on his chest. <laughs> and the dad's like, I'm, I'm so glad your mother is dead so she can't see you with that trash on your chest. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, he calls Bonnie trash. He's yeah, like, he's just like, he hate, because I mean, to be fair, these two people snookered his simple, simple son into running around <laughs> robbing banks and shit and shooting cops. Originally in the script, the threesome was supposed to be the three of them. So it makes sense why he's very entwined with them but even in this it made sense like you know he's not the sharpest tool in the shed and it's a very exciting lifestyle but uh the dad is not too happy about the situation so the next scene or whatever you see them in town and you see cw's dad through the window at like a restaurant or something an ice cream parlor right and he walks out and then right behind him you see Sheriff Hamer. What's going on there? That's interesting. Oh boy. Next scene, we cut to Bonnie and Clyde chilling, just hanging out. And she is writing a poem called uh, The Story of Bonnie and Clyde. Oh yeah. And as Bonnie is reading this poem to Clyde, Clyde's like, hey, if I sent this into the newspaper, you think they'd print it? I'm going to do that. And sure enough, they do just that. Oh, yeah. He sends it to the paper. They print it. And it's very telling, the like, last little line of this poem. Someday they'll go down together. They'll bury them side by side. To few it'll be grief, to the law a relief, but it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. It kind of foreshadows their, their fate in this, which I found interesting. Yeah. But as they are reading the newspaper, their their beautiful poem, mm -hmm. exemplifying their beautiful story. <laughs> Clyde is like, oh, you know what, Bonnie? When I first met you, I thought I was going to make you into somebody, but you really made me into somebody. You, this poem makes it so I'm somebody that they're going to remember. And then, apparently, that gets him really hot. <laughs> because on a picnic blanket in the middle of this like grassy field, oh, yeah very romantic and he just like jumps her bones and they fuck oh yeah they fuck they finally fuck he's very like insecure about it which i think kind of leans more towards the like impotent thing yeah. because afterwards he's like button up his shirt and he's like was that okay like was it good and she's like it was perfect like yes it was everything i wanted and he's like oh, okay you know he seems very insecure so it's like okay clearly you're not good at this or you oh, haven't yeah. had much experience in this area which i mean warm baby so it's hard to believe but i guess i'll i'll just you know suspend my disbelief so they finally hook up they talk about getting married bonnie's like you know what would you do if we could have a clean slate you know just have no record at all and you know, you think that she's talking about, like, having this normal white picket fence life. And Clyde's like, well, I would make sure we wouldn't rob the state banks that we, in the state that we live in. Da -da -da -da. And he's talking about, like, robbing shit. And it's very indicative of, like, 
Yeah, he's a thief. He's a, he's he, he, a he, criminal. Like, it's baked in him. And Bonnie... Was just she, looking for excitement. Yeah, she loves the excitement. She just wanted an adventure. I do like the fact that there is that action, gritty, violence element, but there is also that character development oh, yeah. as well. It balances out the movie really well. So, I thought, in order to celebrate Bonnie and Clyde doing the deed, oh yeah, we could have a nice little segment of what I like to call The Cast Coulda Been. Let's get down tonight. Oh, get down tonight. Oh, they fuck in a field on a picnic blanket. There's the food. And it could have been other people. So let's do the cast. Could have been. <laughs> it, so, it was so stupid. Okay. So there were other actors and actresses being considered for our titular roles of Bonnie and Clyde. Let's start out with Bonnie, shall we? So we had three other actresses that I could find that were considered for the role of Bonnie. Ah. We had a Miss Natalie Wood, who at the time, I believe, was dating a Mr. Warren Beatty, so that makes sense. Yes. And she was obviously in West Side Story. She was Maria, so we love her. See the pretty girl in that mirror there. Who can that attractive girl be? Such a pretty face, such a pretty dress, such a pretty smile, such a pretty me. She looks nothing like Bonnie I, Parker. I think they were going for more, they already have chemistry, it's an easy fit. Yeah, yeah, true. Next we have Jane Fonda, Queen, we love her. Yes. Yeah, she at least looks like fucking <laughs> Bonnie. Yeah. Last one I found, which I thought was interesting, was Cher. Now, Cher, I like Cher as an actress. She's been oh. in some good movies. She's been in good movies. I, I don't know. I, what have you seen Sharon? I haven't seen it, her in anything. I just know her. Right. Okay. So then don't judge. Don't <laughs> judge a book by its cover, Scott. Okay. She was in Mermaids. That's a fucking great movie. I'm sure. Okay. How do I look? Like a woman about to go forth in sin. Oh, good. Exactly the look I was hoping for. Bob Hoskins is in it. <laughs> it's a fucking great movie. You've never even seen it. It's called mermaids. It's not about actual mermaids, you idiot. <laughs> Fool. Anyway, yeah, I don't think Cher would have fit for this. Because I don't see her really clicking with uh, Warren Beatty. Although maybe like also, she would have clicked with somebody she's else. She's also really tall. I don't know. Yeah, she is really tall. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, Faye Dunaway killed this role. Oh, yeah. Gotta, gotta be honest. I think they both did. And speaking of that, let's move on to Clyde. Ah, so, there were other names being thrown around before it was settled that Warren Beatty was going to do it. Mainly, Paul Newman, who... Makes a lot of sense. Again, another very handsome man. Makes a lot of sense. We also have a Mr. Terrence Stamp, uh-huh. who plays pretty much every villain <laughs> in every fucking movie that yeah. you can think of. Yeah, so here's what he looked like in the 60s. He yeah. Kinda, yeah, he looks like he's like fresh out of a western or something. Yeah, he definitely could have pulled the look off. He is a very distinct look. The other thing about Terrence Stamp is he's got a very interesting cadence that I don't know will work well yeah, with I the character. So I think, yeah. And then uh, last one I found <laughs> was 
Bob Dylan. Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone. Or the times they are changing. Okay. Sure. Which I didn't know. Sharon Bob Dylan. Let's like, uh, why I not? I mean, yeah, let's just make this Bonnie Clyde the musical. Why not? Did he act Bob Dylan? So Bob Dylan has a couple odds and end roles, but nothing significant. Just like picturing the Bob Dylan that we know, like it's weird to picture that, but <laughs> probably gonna help the backing soundtrack of this because oh yeah i mean we didn't even mention like we felt like we were watching raising arizona through part of this by the way listen to our raising arizona review if you if you want but basically (laughs) yeah this whole score for this movie is like banjos because they're like you know in the in the south uh but it was it was quite delightful but yeah i just think it's interesting especially with older movies because a lot of careers were being started around this time so it's it's interesting to see how like career trajectories could have changed given one movie over another, one role over another. It's it's interesting to think about. Yeah, definitely. If you were gonna do Bonnie and Clyde today, who would you have directed? Oh, direct it? Or 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 be Bonnie and Clyde. Both. Okay, so let's Because director I have a good I have a good idea for director. Okay, tell me. Quentin Tarantino. Why the need for so much gruesome graphic violence? Why not let us imagine Because it's so much fun, Jan. Get it? Oh, that would be fucking sick. Oh, my God. It makes sense with the gore. You could do Margot Robbie as Bonnie. And then you could do, like, oh, oh, my God. The first fucking name that came up. Tom Hardy. Yeah, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy would be good. How uh, How about Cavill? He would be good for this. He's very, like, traditional handsome. Yeah. So, I, we added our own cast could have in there. Who would have thought? This this segment is just going out of control here. We gotta end it before it gets too crazy. This has been the cast could have been. Let's get down tonight. Get down tonight. Oh, oh Jesus. Okay. <laughs> So now that Bonnie and Clyde are feeling refreshed, yes. they have been fucked, and they are feeling fresh as a daisy. CW's dad is along with his, his son, and he's, he's chatting to him, and he's like, hey, Bonnie and Clyde expect you to go into town with them tomorrow, right? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, you can go into town with them so they don't get suspicious, but when they go to leave, you don't get in the car with them, you understand? And he's like, Why? And he's like, because, you idiot, the fucking law came to see me, and I made a deal with them that you'll only get a couple years in jail if I give over Bonnie and Clyde, so you're fucking welcome. And CW's like, they're never going to catch Bonnie and Clyde, don't you know that, daddy? They, they're smarter than all the cops. They're not going to get caught. Clyde's got a six cents. So uh, they, they drive into town. Bonnie and Clyde are getting ready to leave, and Bonnie goes to, like, get CW, but then... Right after she leaves, Clyde sees cops walking around, and he gets, like, a little skittish, so he's like, hey, Bonnie, let's go. Get out of here. This is the penultimate scene of the movie. This was very technologically and violence-wise infamous at this time, when it came out. This particular scene was filmed with four different cameras, all running at different speeds. Arthur Penn said that he wanted it to be balletic, and he had it done in slow motion for dramatic effect. Makes sense. They're driving down the road and they see CW's dad off to the side 
trying to fix a flat tire. They pull over to help him fix his tire, and CW's dad ducks under his truck. You see in the bushes across the way a bunch of birds fly out, kind of setting the scene like, oh, fuck, like something's about to happen. Clyde, it kind of clicks in his brain like, oh, my God, Bonnie's still in the car. He turns around. They get, like, one last look at each other, kind of zooms in on their eyes as they look at each other for the last time, and then... Shots ring out from the bushes, and Bonnie and Clyde are pelted with a bajillion bullets, and it's... They show it. They they show everything. It's a like a long sequence, like I said, 54 seconds long of just endless shooting, and their Clyde falls to the ground. Bonnie slumps over the car and like hangs out of the driver's side of the car. And then it after the shooting happens, it kind of just sits on it for a couple seconds too, and just like. Yeah. Let's you lets the audience kind of just take in what just happened because it just happens like that, but it was just so much and it's just whoa, you yeah. know what I mean? Even now today when you watch it, you're like fuck. Yeah, <laughs> like, but also in the scene, uh, the makeup department had a role in the depiction of this this graphic violence because mind you, this is '67, so like you know. This scene, the graphicness of it might seem very run-of-the-mill today, maybe even tame, who, who yeah. you know, to some people. But at that time, it was very taboo to have all that blood and all that violence being shown, mm. like, just starkly to the audience. Oh, yeah. So in the scene, the makeup department fixed a fake scalp over Warren Beatty's real hair. So that while he was being shot, it would look like his head was being blown the fuck off, which it did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I really like how they use, like, camera techniques and makeup, makeup and practical effects. And just, like, just, like, the acting in this scene, like, just the way that they fucking get pelted. And it contributes to the greater elements of the scene and it brings it all together. And it's like this infamous scene. And then they kind of hold on it for a couple seconds. And the sheriff walks out of the bushes. Oh, right. And he gets, and a, sheriff, he gets a last little look at them. Yeah. Sheriff Hamer gets his like satisfaction look. And then we just cut to black. Yep. That's it. And that's it. The end. And it just like, I love that because it just shows like this whole movie. They've. They've obviously struggled and they've had good oh, times yeah. and bad, but like right before this, they seemed like they were like at the height and they were just really like yeah. intense and they were enjoying their lives. And yeah, they were finally starting. Everything was lottie da day and then it ends like that. Yep, like a crime. Yeah. I just thought that was cool too. So that is Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. Uh, an Oscar winning. Darling from 1967. Mm -hmm. um, so I think watching this film and getting the enjoyment out of it makes up for the fact that Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway stole Moonlight's Glory in 2017. 
<laughs> but yeah, this was a pretty fucking awesome movie. Yes, what, yes. what did you think, Scott? Overall, overall, yeah, definitely an awesome movie. Um, both of them are Beta Way and Warren Beatty were amazing. Gene Hackman was a lot of fun. Yeah, everybody um, was fun in this. Even even Estelle Parsons. No. I liked... No. I found her entertaining in this. No. Uh, besides Estelle Parsons and... I mean, she, I think she's supposed to be annoying. Supposed and I mean, to, if okay. that's the goal, you hit it. Hook, line, and sinker, sweetheart. Character supposed to be annoying. The moment you told me that she won an Oscar for this movie... <laughs> That's the one point. You should have never told me during the movie that she won an Oscar for this movie. I want to see who was up against Because the moment you told me that, I started grading the performance, and I'm like, this is like an F performance for an Oscar-winning supporting actress. Get the fuck out of here. But besides the random interludes of banjo music throughout the movie... Um, you didn't like the banjo? It was fun. I felt like... It- it, I felt like it was. Fit. I felt like it was too much banjo. Every little like bit was like banjo, and I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, but the, I feel like all you guys could afford for this movie apparently was one banjo and just played it constantly. <laughs> Besides those, the movie is pretty great as a whole. Uh, the shots are amazing. They they really did an amazing job with like a lot of stuff in this movie. Yeah, I think in in just the history of filmmaking, I think it's an important movie because it kind of it, it brought a lot of new thing. It brought a lot of new elements of filmmaking out into the yeah. forefront, and I think that's important too. Yeah, definitely, and um, I'm glad I saw it. I am too. I'm glad I rewatched it. I enjoyed it even more, I think, on the second rewatch. So, so what would you rate this movie, Scott? Out of five. What would you rate it on Letterboxd? Uh, it's tough because I'm kind of bouncing. I'm, I'm bouncing between two. Um, oh, I thought you were saying, like, giving it a two. I'm like, you just said you really liked it. Why would you give it a two? No, uh, I would probably be smack dab in the middle, but probably... Lean in a four point five. Oh wow! Okay. But I, I, I more like would be a four point two five, but I rounded up in this case. Okay. Yeah, is... I think I have it as a four. So I, I really enjoyed it a great deal, and um, yeah, I enjoyed it not just for the historical significance, but also for the characters and for the the gritty action and the violence. There was there's something for everybody in this. I think. Yeah. And for Warren Beatty, obviously, because, you know, Dreamboat. We love a we love a Dreamboat. Faye Dunaway, too. Let's just shut it. Yes, well. I don't have the hots for Faye Dunaway, dear. Well. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> so, yeah. This has been... This has been fun. Yes. I enjoyed this. Next week, Scott's going to be showing me a movie. Uh, another movie that I haven't seen, but I really have always wanted to watch. Yeah, it's I'm gonna, excited. It's going to be interesting because we're going to dive down a well we've technically dived down before. Um, oh boy. How exciting. So it's it's going to be interesting um, because 
this is another one of those movies that is very good, but again, it's not one that it's it's not an Oscar. It, it's not Oscar-y good. It's not Oscar-y good. It's a fun movie. Right. And that's that's the thing about what I love about what we do is we're very. You do a lot of the, a lot more of the good Oscar-y movies. I, I mean, do. I like regular, like, oh, yeah. fun you popcorn do. movies too. I I feel I have an eclectic taste. You do, but I tend to lead you into some of the ones you haven't seen, the fun, stupid popcorn movies. Mm. Hmm. Hold, pull nine yards. <laughs> what would you classify that as, dear? A fun popcorn movie? A fun Or a traumatic experience <laughs> that I will never outlive. Every red-blooded American knows that the only condiment you are ever supposed to put on a hamburger is ketchup! Ketchup! <laughs> that I will never live down. That's what I meant to say. Uh, well, it was a fun movie. That's... I did have fun being traumatized irreparably. That was that was great. Yes. So, um, until next week, this has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast, and I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick, and also check out our weekly episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and a whole bunch of other places, too. Mm-hmm. And make sure you come back next week to check out a new movie adventure with Scott and myself. See you next time. And don't rob banks. <laughs>